Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Volatility on Wall Street continues. Russia's invasion of Ukraine heats up and oil is caught up in all of this. And this comes as a backdrop of inflation and fears of recession lie in the background. So the excitement on Wall Street has not gone away and we're going to talk about it. I'm Andy Gersher and this is Gaines. As mentioned, a lot going on with stocks and chaos on the geopolitical front. So let's bring on Paul Nolte, Portfolio Manager at Kingsview Asset Management here in Chicago. Hey, Paul, great to have you on the Gaines Podcast. Nice to be with you again, Andy. Appreciate it. So Paul, as mentioned in the lead, a lot going on here. And I wanted to start off uh, today's Gaines Podcast with your take on all the developments we've seen as of late. Yeah, you're right. And there's been a big shift in the overall market psychology. Volatility has been with us since the beginning of the year. We've seen daily moves of 1% to 2% on both sides, both up and down. We've seen a key shift, too, in the market dynamics. We've moved, we're starting to move away from growth. The FANG names, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera, the large cap growth names. And we've moved now more toward value small cap, um, and certainly commodities. And all of those value-ish type of plays are starting to perform relatively well here. So on the equity side, it is more of a value play. On the fixed income side, we've seen a yield curve. The difference between a two-year and a 10-year treasury yield has become very, very close to each other. Uh, And those have historically pointed to times where the economy is going to struggle. And it's very unusual. I don't think it's ever happened in history where the Fed is actually talking about raising rates when the yield curve is this flat. So there's a lot of concern that we're winding up or will wind up in a recession sometime within the next 12 months that may be Fed-induced and maybe pushed along, too, by the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. One of the things about the Russia-Ukraine thing is we saw this coming for a while. This shouldn't have been a surprise for a lot of people. And, Paul, I think about all the missteps on the energy front that has led to this kind of global energy crisis that we're experiencing. And I wanted to talk about some of the missteps we've seen 
and the downplaying of of some of those critical mistakes. I think to a certain extent you're right. I mean, we for a while there we were next net exporters of oil, and that dynamic has changed. And it's it's not so much that you know we can we can debate the the subject of whether fossil fuels are bad or good for the economy. I think I think most would agree that it's a, it's an issue for the overall climate uh, around the world. But there needs to be a, a pathway to uh, solar, to wind, to all of these others, uh, other opportunities for energy, as opposed to just shutting down oil and saying that's bad, don't do it, and and then worrying about what we're going to do later on. And, and I think that's where we've gotten caught. Clearly, they tried to make that transition well before they were even ready. No, absolutely. If you you know if you have an electric car, there are places that you can charge, but there's not the 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 off ramp that you will off of any interstate, almost any exit, like you do for gasoline. So the infrastructure needs to be built there. Completely different dynamic in Europe, where especially Germany and some of the other countries around Germany are very dependent on. Russian energy. Paul, don't get me started talking about Germany. Talk about blowing your own foot off, basically ditching all your energy options and trying to convert to something that just won't get the job done and then relying on natural gas uh, from Russia. Not a good idea. And then the thing that really is bothersome, too, is a year or two ago, we were actually producing a bunch of this stuff domestically. And that's dried up. So kind of explain that dynamic. Well, again, because it has been a, a, a different view of energy and what we should be doing for energy, what we should be doing for a domestic economy when it comes to electric, to uh, solar, to wind and the, the green, uh, green energies. So all of those dynamics have continued to play into that and have been pushed through as far as uh, I, I, you know, you can argue that it's been the democratic agenda that that's what we want to to go toward. And while it is a good goal to have, there needs to be that infrastructure behind it that needs to precede a lot of it. If you had said 20 years ago, listen, we're going to have a lot of wind and solar power, a lot of people are like, really, that's that's not very efficient. Wind has gotten to be a very efficient generator of electricity. So, but it's taken a long time to get there. A lot of the gains listeners, we, we, you know, go after aggressive plays, aggressive stocks. One of the big things, a lot of the gains listeners, I'm sure have jumped in and we've been talking about it for a while is some plays in the energy space. We've seen a run up in a lot of the stocks that we've talked about Uh, at $125 a barrel. It's starting to seem like we're maybe peakish. For those who did get in on the energy trade, uh, and we've seen some profits here, is there really that much more to go, or are we going to see a pullback? What are your thoughts on on the actual price of oil? Yeah, I think the price of oil, is certainly we saw it back in 2008 when we saw energy get to 150 uh, a barrel, albeit much more gradually than what we've what we're experiencing today. And what happens at that point is it becomes uh, uh, much more profitable to drill, to bring other oil online. And we will look at OPEC. We'll look at other countries 
and they will be going, you know, we can produce a little bit more. We can put a little bit more in the market at 100, at 120. It's good revenue to us, so we're going to go ahead and do that. And that's one of the things when you look at the commodity market, higher prices generate higher production. So whether it's gold, energy, uh, whether it's uh, agricultural commodities, uh, if you see those prices going up, there's going to be a lot more incentive for people to produce it because we're going to make more money doing it. And over time, that additional production then pushes prices down. So I think we're going to see at some point. And I guess the, in, in my mind, the, the, the Russian conflict is, is creating a big cloud over this. But at some point, we're going to see energy prices come back down again. We will see wheat prices come back down again. It will take some time. So we're looking at taking some of our commodity plays off the table, taking some of those profits. The performance has been phenomenal relative to everything else. So the prudent thing to do is take at least some of those profits off the table here. So you mentioned taking some of those profits that you may have made in the oil sector off the table. Do you immediately put it to work somewhere else? Do you keep it as dry powder? What's your play? Um, and I assume that you, your clients moved on the uh, oil plane, have made some gains off of that? Yeah, where we, where we did that, though, is, is through um, a commodity ETF. But instead of the commodity itself, we're looking at, produce, we're looking at the producers. It's easier for me to analyze uh, a, a metal mining company than it is a hunk of gold. So we went through the, the companies and the, the mutual fund, the ETF, buys a lot of the companies that are the producers of metals, ag, energy, et cetera. And it's a couple names? Well. Do you have a couple names that you might have looked um, at? Yeah, no. One that we use, the ticker symbol on it is G-U-N-R, um, and that's uh, FlexShares uh, Natural Resource. And that's the primary one that we've used. And that has done very well uh, again, relative to the market and everything else. And it has tracked very closely the Bloomberg Commodity Index. So we've been very happy with that name. It's one that we're looking at now to to start to take some profits. And where do we go with it? And I think there we're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because we're looking at the, the overall market conditions as being generally little less than optimal with a flatter yield curve and maybe the the – portend of a recession over the next year or so, that's going to put downward pressure on equity prices. And in the short run, we could see interest rates go up some, but as the economy then goes into a recession, the best place to be is in liquidity. And that can be in cash, that can be in treasuries. And really when you get to that tipping point of, okay, we're now into a recession and we're starting to recognize that we're there you want to look at the treasury market and you want to start looking at the longer term treasuries 10 years and out because at that point the next step for the fed is not to raise rates but to cut rates and where you get the bigger bang for your buck at that point is in the treasury market that's in the long dated treasuries and you have liquidity you do not have liquidity in a lot of the other instruments as you're going into a recession because everybody is rushing for that liquid asset that they can then sell. For those who are have an investment plan long term, I'm, I'm always reluctant to encourage people to go into cash 
Because a lot of times people will get scared and then they will never get back in the market. Um, For those that may not want to actually go into a cash play, they say they're Mm -hmm. more, they're younger investors, they're more fully Mm -hmm. invested, you know, invested in the market. They have a lot more stock market exposure. Uh, What's your advice for them? I mean, do do they, uh, I'm always reluctant to talk about going, you know, for a lot of people just to make that move to cash because I've seen it so many times before. People get scared, and actually, seemingly, the market goes a lot lower, and they seem like geniuses, but they never get back in. And then, at some point, the market comes back, and, you know, it's... They're still sitting on the They're still sitting on the sidelines, and now they've not only missed out on gains, the market has maybe come back. And so, you know, they, they got out, you know, close to the bottom, and... And now the market's moved back, and and it's just that's a really bad scenario to be in. So, what's your advice for those who are fully invested and and but might not want to you know pull the treasuries? Yeah, and 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 two, one of the signposts for us as a sign of maybe a capitulation or a bottoming process in the market is if you look at the high yield spread. So the difference between high yield and treasuries. And that has been rising pretty consistently now over the last nine months plus. When that peaks and starts to roll over, that usually is a pretty good sign then. And we saw it in uh, April of 2020. We saw it in uh, December of 2019. We saw it in 2008. We've seen it in 2000, uh, 2001. But that's a good sign, at least, that maybe the worst is close to being at hand or over. But if you're looking at the markets and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to be an equity guy, I'm, I want to stay in that market, you know, I want to I participate, we saw this in 2000, and our, our general view is as we go into recessionary periods, you get that shift in leadership. We saw it uh, going into the 2000 peak. Technology did great. 2000 uh, happened, we value had a great run then from 2000 to 2008. From that point on, it was growth again uh, until today. And we think now we're in that shift now toward value. So even in 2000, when we saw that shift from growth to value, there was small cap, there was international emerging markets uh, in value that both on a relative basis and in some cases in an absolute basis, performed very well relative to benchmark, relative to an S&P 500 or a global index. Right now, emerging markets are incredibly cheap. I'm glad you brought that up because I am a fan of emerging markets. What vehicle do you use to get exposure to emerging markets? We try, yeah, we try to do, um, we, we try to look at balance sheets. We try to look at income statements. There's a few funds out there that do that. Uh, one is Wisdom Tree. There's another one, Adventus. Uh, has a, a couple funds um, that are interesting because they take a look. Uh, they stay away from the state-owned securities. They look at the operating companies, and like you would in the United States, take a look at cash flows, take a look at dividends and those types of things. So you're investing in more established companies. Uh, uh, I'll throw you the one that I'm using to get exposure. I like the mm-hmm. iShares M- MSCI Emerging Markets ETF. I found that as a really effective uh, way of getting that emerging markets exposure. That ticker is EEM, that's iShares MSCI Emerging Markets uh, ETF. Uh, what, what's, what's the ticker on the... Um, the, wisdom, the one that we've used yeah. is P, 
PXH, Paul X-Ray Henry. Um, and that's one that has done reasonably well during this period and has held up okay. Uh, and there's a couple others that we're looking at. And that's the, the part of emerging markets is kind of tough because there's a lot of different ways to play it. Typically, uh, you're going to see very heavy exposure to China. Uh, you may or may not see Russia. You may see a, a large swath of, of South America. But you want to understand, and, and for me, you want to take a look at something that's been around five, maybe ten years, been through a couple cycles, and you can see how the price reacts to, say, something like an EEM, which is closely follows the emerging index. And does it do better? Does it do poorly? And what periods of time does it do better? What periods of time does it do worse? Um, and see if that strategy that they're espousing really pays off. So emerging markets are a very tough one to get uh, to, to really do a lot of analysis on because there's so many different ways to, to attack the emerging markets. Um, do I exclude China? Do I include China but not the state-owned securities? So a lot of different moving parts there. So right. again, Each fund, I guess, has a different approach, and that's a good point to make because – Emerging markets, I mean, that's a vast, vast territory. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they could be focused on South America. It could be focused, you know, South America and Brazil. It could be focused on places in Africa. It could be India. Like you said, China. What's the China exposure? You found the And give us that ticker one more time again so we can put it on our watch list. And why do you like that particular I like one? it. I, I like it because it's a little bit more fundamentally based. Um, so they take a look at, at revenue, they take a look at earnings, they take a look at, at returns, uh, debt ratios, uh, the ticker symbol, Paul X-Ray Henry. Um, and so that one is, again, it hasn't performed well in all the periods. It's doing a little bit better, holding up a little bit better here. Uh, but emerging markets as a whole are really feeling the brunt of the Russia-Ukraine situation because Again, a lot of the emerging markets, you know, you can take a look at Poland as an emerging market. You can look at different countries within Europe. Russia is certainly considered an emerging market. So you want to take a look at where their exposure is. And we like to have it very broad-based. We try not to have too much concentration in any one country, uh, much above the index. And so we like to have that participation around the globe because there are so many different markets to get involved in. And it's not something that we can go and pick stocks in Vietnam or Hong Kong. We really don't have that knowledge and experience. We'd rather allow a manager to do that for us. Okay, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Paul Nolte, Portfolio Manager at Kingsview Asset Management here in Chicago. But hey, real quick, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. You'd totally be doing us a solid. And then, as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. So we'll continue our discussion with Paul Nolte right after the break. If you enjoy learning about Chicago and its communities, culture, and people, you will love Shades of the City. 
It's a new podcast from News Radio WBBM and Odyssey, hosted by me, Lauren Brown, where I pass the mic to the people and allow them to tell their stories their way. Subscribe now on the Odyssey app or Apple Podcasts, and stay tuned every other Friday starting March 11th for new episodes. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Back with Paul Nolte, Portfolio Manager at Kingsview Asset Management here in Chicago. Uh, before we get uh, continue the conversation, Paul, uh, any plugs uh, on your end? I know we, we, you know we always mention that you're Portfolio Manager, Kingsview Asset Management here in Chicago. Any websites, plugs, anything that you want to plug on top of that today? Yeah, there's the Kingsview website, kingsview.com, and there are a couple ETFs that we do run uh, internally, and that's at the Monarch. Those are Monarch funds. Uh, so that would be under the Monarch fund label, monarchfunds.com. Uh, both of those websites, you can get information on the funds. You can get information on the company. You can find all the different advisors we have around the country. Uh, so you can find somebody that's local for you or somebody that you're interested in talking to uh, uh, there. And you know, I highly encourage at least a, a beginning engagement. I do write a weekly commentary. So if somebody's interested, they can send me a note at pnolte at kingsview.com, uh, and I'd be happy to put them on the list and, and then get my, my thoughts on the markets on uh, generally a weekly basis. It seems like your firm uses a lot of ETFs to get a variety of exposure. Is that fair to say? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, it's much more efficient for us to use certainly capital gains um, for taxable accounts, uh, get to be held to a minimum. And we have a better understanding of what the what's in the funds 
there you don't get the style drift that you may get with uh, actively managed mutual funds where you could see uh, it, uh, a money manager take off into a different direction, chasing performance and such. So ETFs tend to hew to a much uh, tighter index, and we like that uh, that approach. Tell us a little bit more about Monarch funds. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, what 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 kind of ETFs? You said these are internal ETFs that your firm has put together. I, I'm really interested. Uh, what what kind of uh, offerings are, are does the Monarch funds have? Yeah, so we've got three right now that are you can they're on various platforms. Certainly uh, Schwab and and uh, uh, TD Ameritrade. Uh, one is a blue chip fund, so it tends to follow. Uh, 30 very large blue chip type companies, a little bit more growth biased. Um, so that one is is one offering. Another one is, is give a, uh, give us ticker, give us tickers. Always give us tickers uh, if M you can. Yeah, I'm sorry. NBCC, uh, Mary Boy Charlie Charlie, and uh, another one is uh, what we're calling ProCap. So that goes around into a variety of uh, ETFs underlying. But it's based on our economic views of where we are in the economy. So we're looking at different sectors within the S&P 500 there. And it's uh, M-P-R-O, Mary, Paul, Roger, Oscar. And, and then, then the last, yeah, no, the last one is uh, fixed income. It has a little bit of equity exposure to it. So it might invest in gold. It may also invest in uh, the S&P 500 are more of a value index than the S&P 500. So it's not a true fixed income uh, offering. But again, there too, we'll go into some high yield, go to treasuries, maybe short term. Um, and that's uh, M-A-M-B, um, Mary Apple, Mary Boy. And those are the three right now that are uh, publicly traded and available for investors. Are they are they traded like just like your standard ETFs? Yes. Yeah. They're, like, yeah. They're they're standard uh, they're standard uh, ETF trades. And they so just however they however your local however the broker handles those trades is is what we would do. Now we've seen technology get crushed. Um, all those high flyers have pulled back quite a bit. Uh, and you had even mentioned that the economy could be heading for a recession, and you you kind of maybe alluded to some further downside in the market. Um, ha at any point, have you just outright shorted the market? Uh, it's not one that we that we do. Um, it's very difficult, and it, it's just uh, one we're not allowed to uh, our compliance area, and it's just not something that the company wants to be involved in. So we we have a little bit more issue doing that. Um, but the second part of it is you have to be right on the timing because to do that effectively using ETFs, uh, you do get slippage. You do not, it's not a perfect one-to-one -one relationship and you need to be correct on timing. Um, I've tried to do it personally with modest success, uh, but it's usually, uh, you know, two steps backwards, uh, two steps forwards, one and a half back. Um, so, Timing on that is is more critical. It's kind of like using options uh, when you're playing the market. You you might be right in the direction, but wrong in in the timing of it, and you wind up missing out on the opportunity. Whereas if you're in the long, you can stay there, hang out. If you're wrong for a while, you can dollar cost average maybe into a position, hang on to it for five or ten years. Very very difficult 
and uh, generally harmful to a portfolio to be holding on to short positions uh, for longer periods of time. You know, we've found that especially when you have the double or triple baggers where it's three times the exposure, you want to talk about deterioration because it's usually they settle that every day. So there could be a deterioration over time, even if the broader trend is actually in the direction that you were looking for as well. Um, yeah, there are some nuances because, again, it's settled at the day's end every every right. every trading and session. Same is true, and the same is true with the specific commodities. So yes, yes. Again, just, as, just as you would with any stock, if we're talking about Apple, IBM, or Microsoft, you want to do that same level of research and have that level of understanding and maybe look at historical price trends just to get an understanding of what it is that ETF, mutual fund, whatever that is, actually does and how does it perform in the marketplace uh, before you start plunking down money. You know, you alluded to earlier, too, that you may see uh, softness in the market. Are you willing to maybe sit and not do much for a while until things, you know, before you get a little more clarity or, you know, are you looking for more value? I mean, what's the play for the next six months for you? Yeah, we're like I said, we're playing it a little bit more defensively. We're playing a little bit more on the value side, both large and, and small. Um, we're, we're sitting on a little bit more cash than we usually do. We're, we're sitting on more treasuries than we have historically. Um, so we're allowing this to kind of play out here a little bit. We are looking, one of the indicators that we keep an eye on is that high yield bond to treasury spread. And as long as that continues to go up, and it's now about four percentage points wide, and we can see that get up to nine, 10, 12 percentage points wide. And that's really where the stress point is. And at that point, then we start taking a look and say, okay, now we've gotten everybody scared and the markets have come down a, a fair amount it's now time to go shopping. And so it allows us then to uh, step into the market, usually when it's very stressful, uh, but we can start to gradually introduce positions that we find fundamentally make sense, whether it's sectors or individual stocks uh, that we can start taking a look at. So it's, it's incredibly difficult to do. And I can tell you talking to clients uh, you know, the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot more clients talk about, you know, it's time to get out. we got to sell. I, I don't like it. But that's usually those stresses are the best times to be investing. So think of March of 20 when the markets were going down. We didn't know what was going on with the pandemic. And it was sell first, ask questions later. That's a good time to start looking at. And hopefully you have some liquid positions to where you can start to reposition that portfolio. And again, we talk about rebalancing, and that's one of the things that we'll look at and say, okay, equities haven't done so well as a percentage of the portfolio. They're down. Treasuries have done well. Fixed income has done relatively well. Take those that are a little bit more dear, sell those, and look to buy those that are cheapest. When you uh, start to uh, get in a scenario where you're getting back in the market, you know, we've talked about the shift from uh, the high growth to value are you dipping in on the value side or on the growth side? It would think that the value's probably already been a little more baked in. Uh, how do you play that? Yeah, we think the value has probably got a longer way to go. So we look at those very long cycles and we say, you know, 
Growth has had a good 10-year run. Value had a five- to seven-year run in early 2000. Growth had a good five- to ten-year run in the late 90s, uh, into the 90s. So we think these are longer cycles, so it can be multiple years where value generally will uh, do well versus growth, maybe small cap doing well versus large cap. So like these high uh, these high beta growth names, you're not immediately getting back in. I mean, there could be further downside. Yeah, and I think healthcare is is still a very good area that we like. Uh, we're looking still at the industrial names. We're still looking at some of the basic material names. So one that we've owned for a while that we're actually looking to exit is General Dynamics. Another one that we recently purchased was Johnson and Johnson. Um, so couple, you know, again, looking at where do we find value in the market, what looks good relative to cash flow that they're generating, dividends that they're paying, uh, revenue that they're generating. We will find those growth names will eventually come down into that realm. Microsoft was there 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It was a very cheap name. Um, and so that's when you are able to pick those up and you can hang on to them for five, seven, ten years is, until they get to be very expensive. And you, that's when you're starting to take profits off the table. Where's dividends fit in that kind of concept? You know, a lot of value stocks do offer pretty decent dividends to hold their stocks, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is nice, too, because if you're expecting growth and then you're also getting paid over time to hold it while the stock grows, is dividend a factor in this? And uh, if, if you're going for yield, where do you go? As part of our analysis, yes. And it's not so much the size of the dividend, but the fact that the companies are raising dividends. So Apple pays a dividend. They raise it. Microsoft pays a dividend. They're very aggressive in raising it. Um, so those names will fit. We will tend to stay away from Amazon. We will tend to stay away from Netflix because they really don't pay a dividend. Um, it is one of the screening materials to get us to a good list of names. So right now, a lot of the names that, that fall out tend to be financial, which is not a surprise in this environment where the yield curve is kind of flat. So a Discover, uh, uh, some of the banks like the Comerica, are pretty inexpensive here, but they're going to have a little bit more trouble in this environment making profit um, because the yield curve is so flat. Normally, banks are liking a very steep yield curve where they can pay depositors not so much, turn those deposits, loan it out at a, at a substantial premium, and make the difference. Um, so those are the types of areas that we like at this point and still think there's some pretty good value. What's a theme going on here in the market that people aren't thinking about that uh, maybe is that you're picking up that you haven't heard uh, when they talk about the overall narrative right now? I think a lot of people are concerned that, um, I, you know, I think what a lot of people are looking at over the next six to nine months is a slowing economy and maybe a market that struggles here. But I, I notice with a lot of investors, they'd like to go back to the, the known names. I like to go back to the apples. I like to go back to the high growth names because they've done so well. I've made a ton of money on them. Yeah, they're down 10, 15, 20%, but they're going to come back. And I think what a lot of people miss is that there is that rotation that goes on in the marketplace. And although they're, they're very good companies, they're well run, they make a lot of money, what they're getting paid or what is their stock prices relative to those earnings, relative to those revenues, are still at very historically high levels 
versus their own history. It takes some time. We saw it even in the nifty 50 stocks of the late 60s. McDonald's was a great company, was growing stores, and people were buying it like crazy. But it had gotten to a level that was just out of line with what the company was earning and what they were able to grow their revenues at. So even though the stock fell from that point on 60 70%, the company still had more revenues, had more earnings, and you've got a better alignment between the stock price and those earnings, but it took years for that to happen. We saw it in 2000 with a lot of the tech names, Intel, Microsoft, Cisco, all fell 50 60 70% from those highs. All of those companies, more revenues, more earnings, higher dividends, but there was a misalignment between the stock price and those values that took years to finally ring out to where they became very inexpensive stocks and were very worthy of picking up. So investors tend to go back to what they like and what they're used to and what they've been successful with. But I think there's a change going on and might be something to, to, to keep an eye out for. That's actually a great point because I think a lot of people who have, as you mentioned, like Apple and the Amazons have just done so well with those stocks. You've always done well if you've bought the dip. And mm-hmm. so they think, oh, well, we have a little month or two rough period here uh, and they've sold off. So uh, the all clear sign obviously must be in and uh, we'll, we'll just jump in. And that's not necessarily uh, good advice because you think that there has been a rotation and a, a, a major shift here. I do. And, you know, and that's what we see with, with those names is, again, they're popular. They're, they're uh, over-invested in, in our opinion. Um, so I think there's going to be some reconcil- uh, reconciling of the earnings and the growth with the stock price. So a good company doesn't always mean a good stock if the stock is just too expensive. It's all about valuation. I mean, that's what the stock market is. Uh, You know, every stock at some point is a really bad buy. And regard mm-hmm. and every stock at some point has been a really, really good buy, regardless of what happens to them throughout, you know, the history. I, it's just that's, that's right. how it is. I mean, and again, it's valuation that you're looking at uh, when you buy stocks and, you know, you want to get stocks on sale. As we're wrapping up today's Gains podcast, Paul, um, what's your takeaway? What, what, what do you want to get across here? I think really what you want to do is you want to understand that we're not yet out of the pandemic recession. This has been a, a monetary-fueled rally that really isn't fundamental economic-based. And so now as the Fed and as the U.S. government starts to take back some of that money, we're not seeing the stimulus packages coming out of the government. Fed's now starting to talk about raising rates. It's going to be a little more treacherous environment uh, for the markets. So you want to tread carefully. Don't want to necessarily be too aggressive. Pick your points, pick your companies, pick your stocks, pick your prices, and be patient. So, again, a 10 15% decline in the market looks good. Buy the dip. But, again, look at those valuations and see if that makes sense and, and be willing to gradually move money back into the market if you're sitting on the sidelines at this point. All right, Paul, thanks again for all the advice. It was great to have you on the GAINS podcast. We'll be sure to have you on again. Uh, That's Paul Nolte, Portfolio Manager at Kingsview Asset Management here in Chicago. Hey, real quick, be sure to subscribe. 
follow and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We are back on Thursday, and there will be a ton to discuss then. I look forward to it. See you on Thursday. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.